0: is the Dan Grosser Show. The great Don McGreca. Uh,
1: something my dad did that I always remember is that we'd have pizza every Friday. My father loved pizza. And then after we would partake in the pizza and the mussels. my father always got mussels. is he would tear the large pizza box into mm-hmm. small pieces and fit them into the two liter bottle of empty soda. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to be in studio tomorrow. I'll, we just had pizza the other day. I'll sift through the recycling. I'll bring the large pizza box in. We'll get a two-liter bottle of soda, and I'll prove it to you. The only thing that I misjudged, and I I don't know if my memory is wrong, was
2: how long the damn thing took.
0: This is the Dan Grasa Show. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am currently incarcerated. On 98.7 ESPN. This is Grasa Us. Grasa Us. It's our way of saying thank you to the sports figures out there making headlines. That is what we do, and that is the
2: nature of the segment. That's why we came up with it. So, yes, we kick off the final hour of the show with Grasa Us here on 98.7 ESPN. And a fresh edition. We're never going to come at you with the same exact stuff that we did for you yesterday. Of course, we're not going to do that. We're not cheating you people. Come on. Expect better than that, and you're going to get that. So let's start things off here. With a little baseball. We haven't done baseball yet today. So we figure we'll get into a little New York Yankee conversation. And, look, Yankees had a rough season last year. I don't think that's a secret. And they hope for an upturn this year. They hope for some better fortune, at least trying to keep guys off of the injured list. And I think one of the keys are going to be the starting pitching and those guys returning to better health. Garrett Cole, who just happens to be the best pitcher in Major League Baseball, he spoke about such matters the other day down in Tampa.
3: I think that by and large, like y- you need to prepare in the off season well. I mean, this isn't this isn't how it used to be. You know, even even ten ten years ago or so when I started, where you know guys kind of would come into spring training and use spring training as a as a ramp up, and th- there's just a higher level of intensity much sooner, and so that forces the demand on the player to be to build a tank up to build the capacity and the tolerance up in the offseason I mean that's going to be your number one that's going to be your number one goal
2: I think that there is not an area of this Yankees team for the upcoming season that is more critical to them having success than that starting rotation and more importantly those guys actually being healthy because last year anybody not named Garrett Cole it seemed like went down for the count. And Cole was the best pitcher in baseball, and yet the Yankees still had their worst season in three decades. So that doesn't even assure you of success. I mean, think about the couple of those Cy Young seasons that Jacob DeGrom had with the Mets once upon a time. He was outstanding, but the team didn't win. They had nothing to show for it in the standings. You know, and think about even somebody like Marcus Stroman. He battled injuries in the whole second half of the year last year when he was with the Chicago Cubs. Clark Schmidt is somebody who had a career-high workload a season ago how is he going to bounce back from that the following season it didn't serve Nestor Cortez well last year after all the innings that he accumulated back in 2022 Carlos Rodon it seems like is always an injury waiting to happen and last year was a disaster so right now you can be optimistic but you kind of have to approach it with a grain of salt with this Yankee rotation because if that falls apart I think that they're going to be in for a long haul again this year because that division is a gauntlet. And I still think that the Baltimore Orioles are the team to beat, despite the fact that they might be losing one of their guys in Kyle Bradish. But I would say they more than made up for it by going out and getting an ace in the name of Corbin Burns, former signing winner, one of the best in all of Major League Baseball. So injury a topic, as always, for the New York Yankees. And Harv, that is going to lead us uh, into our next one, right? Grassa us. Brian Cashman, he is the general manager the architect of this yankee team getting ready to embark on his 93rd season as the general manager of the new york yankees or at least give or take a couple of years it seems like what did he have to say about the team and their quest to stay healthy no one wants to go back to 23, and the only way to, to put 23 behind us is to is you know have a double down focus on 24. Obviously, that's with imports improving the roster, but putting yourself in a better position to withstand injuries and you know rethink a lot of different things and, and both individually and collectively. So I think we've we certainly tried to do that. But that's even if you're coming off of a successful year, you're you're, you're supposed to be doing that too. But ultimately, uh, I do think last year we we wound up in a bad. Position early, and in, in some cases, in other cases, just happenstance. But some injuries, I think, were probably brought on by you know maybe not being in the best position to start. Another is other injuries like judges in right field and in Dodger Stadium, or because of game competition. I mean, look, the judge won last year was fluky. Everybody who knows anything would at least acknowledge that. But I also don't think I'm telling tales out of school. And and guys, you're probably going to agree with me on this one that look. You want to say you have a season like last year if you're the Yankees? Happens once every three decades? All right, fine. But two years in a row, underperforming, underachieving, when you went out there and you made the big splashy move and bringing in a Juan Soto to hopefully beef up this lineup even more, if the Yankees have another down year, guess what? There are going to be some changes when it's all said and done. I'm pretty confident about that, don't you think?
1: You have to clean house. If this year is anything like last year, It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter who gets injured. I don't think Cashman could survive two straight years of 82 and 80.
2: And you know something? I don't think the fans, if that were to happen, look, they'll be disappointed that the team has another bad year. But if it is going to bring about change, because fans, they've they've been harping and wanting this for years. They think that they've already overstayed their welcome, some people in the organization. I'm not sitting here advocating for people to lose their jobs. It's not what I'm trying to do at all. But my point is is that it's a bottom-line business, right? And this is still a Yankee team and a Yankee franchise, which is still measured by one thing and one thing only, as we've been led to believe, winning championships. It's championship or bust. And the last time I checked, this team hasn't won a championship in quite some time. So it's a results-based business This team has to show some this year. Speaking of results, hopefully you get some better results in Queens this year for the other baseball team in town. Remember, they had the highest payroll known to man going into 2023, and it didn't work out. And so they shed some salary. They shed some of those older players. And now they kind of, I don't want to say that they've taken a step back, but they certainly have not been writing checks this offseason like they've done in the past with Steve Cohen at the helm. Francisco Lindor was the first big-ticket acquisition that Steve Cohen, his owner, made when they traded him from or traded for him from Cleveland, gave him that 300-plus million-dollar contract extension. Here is the Mets shortstop talking about the direction franchise is going.
0: Every year, you climb the stairs. You know, yeah, for some people, it might seem like we're going backwards, but into the concept of a long-term deal. You know, I wasn't here here for one year, two years. So I keep them seeing that we are moving in the right direction. You know, yeah, we, are, we have changed people along the way, but I guess that's part of um, the process. So I'm full on board. I respect what they're doing, and I'm here to win. And I'm, I keep them seeing good things that we're heading in that direction.
2: Here's the thing with Lindor. I know that the team was bad last year and they were a major disappointment. He put up numbers and he had himself a really, really good season. Now, unfortunately for him, you know, they've made the playoffs once since he's been here and he's gotten himself or he got himself a a ridiculously wealthy contract and he was paid like one of the best players in all of Major League Baseball. He's had his moments. But I still think to a certain degree, like if you look at his Mets tenure in totality, I think fans want a little bit more. And with all the changeover that this roster has experienced over the last couple of years, I think clearly he is now one of the leaders and he's embraced that, which is a good thing. And I think that anything less individually from what he gave you last year is probably substandard for Francisco Lindor, right? You're paying him all that money. He's a leader of this team. He has to be one of the guys that delivers if this club is going to get back to where the fans want them to be. Now, the Mets made a lot of smaller moves during the offseason. Not a lot of contracts that exceeded one year. There are no bad one-year deals. Let's not forget that. One of those guys, Luis Severino, who, of course, is no stranger to this town. He was a member of the New York Yankees for quite some time. Here was the new Mets skipper. Carlos Mendoza, also a former Yankee coach, talking about Seve and how he looks thus far.
3: The feedback was good. Again, first time throwing off the mound here in camp. He's always the next day? How is he going to bounce back? Those are some of the questions, right? That you always kind of having those dialogue, those conversations. But as soon as he got off the mound, he felt really, really good working on all of his pitches and all that. But my expectation is that he's going to be an impactful player for us. We've all seen it before, uh, especially when he's healthy. Stuff is electric. And we're expecting him to provide a lot of innings and quality innings. So yeah, he's going to be a huge part of what we're trying to do here.
2: I think if you're a Met fan, you look at the Severino for 2024 and the only way you can view it is maybe with cautious optimism right you have to the guys only hit 100 innings once in the last five years that's not a lot and I know that he's not expected to be the ace of this staff and this is kind of a prove-it year for him he had to settle for a one-year contract hopefully he goes out there has a season where he could take the baseball once every five days Get the workload out there to where he can then go and net himself a higher-paying contract maybe going into next offseason. Which, you know what? That benefits the Mets. It benefits Luis Severino because if he's durable and he pitches, it's good for both sides. Not to say that he has to stay a Met, but they're banking on this guy to give them innings and to be someone you can rely on in that starting rotation. There's a lot of question marks, one through five. But... The part about it that it's not going to really hamstring you into the future is that it's all these guys on short-term deals, save for Kodai Senga, and that's okay. We'll get more into the Mets' approach a little bit later on here this hour. Harvey, let's uh, let's transition to another one
0: there. Grasa us.
2: Let's do some basketball, right, because it's All-Star weekend. And one of the participants, both in the All-Star game and the three-point shootout, is going to be first time all-star for the New York Knicks, Jalen Brunson. I think it was obvious that he was finally going to be rewarded and acknowledged for how well he's played, not just this year, but last year too, and when he was snubbed for the All-Star game. But a wrong was righted this year. And he joined the guys on TNT a couple of nights ago when he got into town. And we were talking about his father, Rick Brunson, who's a Knicks assistant coach and also had a career as a player in the NBA. And Jalen was talking about the work
4: ethic that it took for him to be able to reach these heights as a player. I would say when I was younger, watching my dad you know, work consistently, it was really cool. I got to see him play. You know, I got to see him work out on his game. got to see him lift. I got, went to go ride my bike around the track while he ran. And so I got to see all that at such a, uh, such a young age but not really understanding why he's working so hard. Right. And so as I got older and wanted to play in the NBA, um, man, like this dude used to work this hard, and he was on – eight nine unguaranteed contracts you know, in the nba for nine years and um as i got older i knew i had to work twice as hard just to get there so just seeing that that's, that was my biggest
2: takeaway
0: well, you're a much better player than rick come on rick you know he, he, he gave yeah, it to you yeah, hey rick you were supposed to be a defender and a playmaker he would yes i would give it to you
2: <laughs> i remember rick brunson back in his college days when he was a point guard at temple on those John Cheney teams in the Atlantic 10, those teams were a pain in the neck when you had to play against them. Because back to, back in those days, Rutgers was, you know, in the Atlantic 10 before even the Big East days. So I remember those battles. And, and you know, his father was a good player, you know, especially in college. Like I said, and look, what Jalen's meant to this team, to this city, we've spent countless hours talking about it. And it's nice for him to be rewarded in front of the whole NBA community tomorrow and with the whole country watching, anybody who's even a casual basketball fan to be on that stage and on that platform with all the other best players in the NBA. Because guess what? That's where he deserves it. But as soon as all that stuff wraps up this weekend, it's back to business. Because it goes without saying, Jalen Brunson, if he's not all-star Jalen Brunson and the guy he's been so far for 55 games this year or whatnot, Knicks don't have a chance. And he's going to have to be even better with the missing pieces that this team is dealing with right now, with Jalen or Julius Randle, OG Ananobi, and such. All right, Harv, one more here for us. Grasa us? And let's do hockey. All right, little hockey, because we got stadium series. Tonight, Devils Flyers. Tomorrow, Rangers Islanders. And don't forget, the Rangers Islanders, 2.30, our coverage begins right here on 98.7, coming up tomorrow afternoon. But tonight, it'll be the Flyers. And they are coached by none other than the colorful John Tortorella, former Ranger coach, of course, among others. Now he coaches Philadelphia. And in Torts fashion, was talking to the media a couple of days ago, and there's been a lot of things that have been happening with the NHL. And, you know, for those that didn't see it, that Morgan Riley incident with the Toronto Blue Jays, or Toronto Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs, where he was suspended five games for taking that wicked shot on a member of the Ottawa Senators who fi- when it fired, you know, almost like a slap shot, a puck into an empty net from point-blank range. And, you know, upholding the so-called unwritten rules of hockey, Morgan Riley took a cheap shot on him and cross-checked him upside the head and rightfully drew a five-game suspension, among other things. So I think that was all kind of built into the topic of conversation that Torts was opining about the other night. Take a listen.
3: It's a dumb league. It, it 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 is, it's changed for coaches too, and we've had to make adjustments because there are so many mistakes made. And I I guess the thing with the young athletes is sometimes you have to wait your turn, right? As far as gaining respect and and not wanting everything right now, not expecting everything right now, as far as ice time, as far as your contract, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's good just to wait your turn and earn it. I think that's where I think the athletes have, have changed. They have entourages around them that I think direct them the wrong way and uh, the hierarchy of a room, the hierarchy of what it is to be a pro, the process you have to go through as a pro I think lost a little bit with, with the athlete now and uh, it's something I miss terribly in, in being in the league for so long seeing where it's gone to now. Great athletes, great skill, great speed, but uh, the mental and the understanding what it is to be a pro and and respecting the National Hockey League, that's where uh, I have some struggles. It's a dumb well, league.
2: <laughs> it's, so basically what he's saying is it's not a smart league, in other words. Look, the whole thing with young athletes and hanging with the entourage, I mean, that that, that that's nothing new because it happens in all sports. I don't care if you're talking about team sports, individual sports, if you're, if you're a name, if you're a presence, if you're somebody, you're going to have those hanger-ons, right? If you can make somebody else's life more opportunistic, they're going to find a use for you. It's just the way it works. So that's something you have to get used to. And, look, I admire Torch as being somebody who's not afraid to speak his mind. He's been well-traveled, but I still think that there's a place in the game for a coach like him, and that's why he keeps getting hired. But his message has a shelf life. You know, and his, his 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 coaching method has a shelf life. And when it wears out in one place and one stop, guess what? He's going to go off and he'll do TV or something else to remain in the game and to have his opinions be heard because I think that they are received. And then some other team, which is maybe underachieving, they're going to say, we need a taskmaster. We need somebody who's going to be able to inject some life into this club, and that's when he's going to get a job again at the at the next so-called reclamation spot. And he tries to win with them. But he's done a good job in Philadelphia. It was a tough undertaking when he got that job. And little by little, you know, started to build that team up into something now with the young players. And, you know, they've turned over the dressing room. And now they're near the top of the Metropolitan Division standings playing some good hockey. And they'll be out there tonight over at MetLife against the New Jersey Devils. And that, my friends, is going to bring us to the end of another rendition of Grasa Us. Give
5: yourselves a round of applause. That was a lot of fun today. Robert Half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative
4: Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: This is the Dan Grasa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grasa Show, 98.7
2: ESPN. Taking it right up until noon, and Pat O'Keefe is going to hang with you for the rest of the afternoon. Harvey, I know you gave me this information already, and it's a bad job by me. Oh, wait, I got it right here. So we do have all the NBA All Star festivities coming up tonight, right? Eight o'clock is when it's all going to begin—the NBA All Star Saturday night. You're going to hear that on ninety-eight-seven. It is a thing. That's right. So you get the slam dunk, you get the three-point shootout. Is there like a skills competition too? Like, don't do they still do that, where the guys like go through it's like an obstacle course and they like pass the ball through a ring of fire or something? Do they do they still do that? I don't remember. I used to I'm, like
0: those. I don't. I don't know. I've I've checked out.
2: Yeah, I've checked out, too. You know, you're already preparing for your MLS stuff. Oh, you got I'm a, excited. You're excited. You got the opening next week. You got a big Devils game tonight. You're going to be locked into the Devils tonight.
3: 100%. Big 100%. game.
2: Huge big game. game. Apart from all the pomp and circumstance and the Jonas Brothers and everything, that's that, that that's a big hockey game, like Don was saying when we had him on. You know, Devils fighting for playoff position. Islanders fighting for playoff positioning. Philadelphia, same thing. You know, the Rangers obviously are in better shape than those other clubs, but this is these are two points that matter for each and every one of these clubs this weekend. So it's funny how it all worked out. They're all in the mix. They all have a pulse, but these are huge, huge games. Now, does your excitement level kick up any way because of the outdoor stadium thing, or are you just treating this as any other old Devils game? No, it's any
3: old, other Devils game.
2: So it's all business. You just got to get two points.
3: They need these two points,
2: man. Dude, you should be coaching the team, right? That, I mean, Why should like I be message. coaching the team? That's the message that, like, I'm sure that Lindy Ruff is telling those guys in the room. It's just another game. Yeah,
3: don't take three penalties in the third period and give up silly uh, goals.
2: Speaking like a true fan, you are. That's what you're doing. Now, Baseball. Pete Alonso. Pete just showed up to camp today, by the way. I saw some uh, footage a couple hours ago of him walking into the complex down there in Port St. Lucie. So I'm sure he's going to meet the media at some point later this afternoon, if not today, tomorrow. I don't know what the schedule is. But Alonso is in camp, and all eyes are going to be on him because it may or may not be the last time that Pete Alonso is part of a spring training as a member of the New York Mets. We all know that free agency awaits him at the end of the season. He's represented by Scott Boris, and the M.O. with Scott Boris throughout much of his very long and successful career as an owner is that he is going to try to get his guys A to free agency because that is going to give them a better opportunity, of course, to field more offers from 30 or 29 other teams in Major League Baseball and to try to drive up the price and get the best deal possible. Now, the thing going against Pete Alonzo, as far as him trying to get that big money contract, whether it's from the Mets or from some other team, he plays a position that has not exactly been compensated to the level that maybe somebody of Alonzo's stature would expect to be compensated. And somebody like him, who has certainly been one of the better power hitters in all of Major League Baseball since he's come up into the Major Leagues, he's 29 years of age, all right? That's not an old man. Not even in baseball terms. But if you're talking about giving somebody a ridiculously long deal, whether it's of the eight- or the nine-year variety, which we have seen given out in the past in baseball, but, play, but teams are starting to move away from those long deals now because they don't want to get stuck with a contract which looks awful, let's say, in four or five years. First baseman, Freddie Freeman, who right now is as good as any first baseman in all of Major League Baseball. When he was 32 which admittedly is older than Alonzo, signed a six-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers for $162 million, $27 a pop. Paul Goldschmidt, another former MVP, he was 32 when he signed his recent deal with the St. Louis Cardinals. That was also a five-year deal for $130 million. That was $26 million a pop. So $162 million in total compensation for a guy who's the best at his position. And out of that 162, million, a lot of it is deferred, by the way, what Freeman got with the Dodgers. So there is a price, there is a market, and there is a number that most teams are not really willing to surpass when trying to pay a first baseman in baseball. Just because, look, the data and the analytics tell you as such. And there's only a certain amount of money that teams are willing to invest now, I guess, in the position. If you want to apply that to what's going on in the NFL with running backs, be my guest. Right? Teams feel that this is what we're going to value and incentivize for the position, and we're not going to exceed that. So he has that obstacle going against him. Now, he's got a lot going in his favor, too. Right? He's extremely durable. Extremely durable. All right, since he's come to the big leagues, and I'm not counting the Fugazi year in 2020 when it was a 60-game season, but since he's been in the big leagues, the fewest amount of games he's played in the full season is 152. It's pretty damn good. You know, that's a guy who's going to answer the call more often than not. He's somebody who's also going to fight to be in the lineup. And now, obviously, having the luxury of the DH of the National League— it serves both parties. That if you need to get him off his feet a little bit off of first base, he could still get the bat in the lineup and have him be the DH. So there is a value there. And I was talking about this with the guys during the break. I understand that Pete Alonso is extremely popular to the Met fan. All right? He's a homegrown Met. Drafted with the Mets. Came up through the farm system. Remember at the time in 2019 when Brody Van Wagenen was still running things. You know, it, it wasn't exactly the popular thing to do, at least in baseball circles, to have Pete Alonso make the team right out of spring training and be the opening day first baseman that year. Because even if they waited a few weeks and kept them down in the minor leagues, Pete Alonso would not be going into his walk year in 2024. He'd have another season of team control. Not good for the player, but great for the team. But the Mets decided to bypass that once upon a time. And this is the reality that we're dealing with right now. Just because he's a Scott Boris client, by the way, does not mean that he's going to be gone. Brandon Nimmo was a Scott Boris client. And I thought that he probably would be playing elsewhere a couple of years ago when he was a free agent. And I thought that there would be another team that Boris would find a way to milk more money from and the Mets would just bow out because maybe they didn't want to overpay. They knew the player. Well, a funny thing happened along the way. The Mets paid and Brandon Nimmo's here. And he got a lot of money. Maybe more than I thought he was going to get. So there is still a path to Pete Alonso coming back to this baseball team. But will it happen? It's popular amongst the fans, right? But the reality is is that the Mets have not exactly been having ticker tape parades either since Pete Alonso has been up with this team. right? As a matter of fact, they've only made the playoffs once, and that didn't really work out too well a couple of years ago against the Padres. So they've lost more than they've won. And I understand that he's a dynamic player. And it's always exciting when he's at the plate. And he's a threat to hit it out of the ballpark every time he steps into the batter's box. But baseball is one of those sports that you can have these singular individual talents and guys to produce, but it doesn't guarantee success. Look at the Angels. The Angels are going to be one of those classic examples probably for years and years and years to come that they had arguably the two best players in the damn sport in their lineup and on their roster at the same time. And they didn't win squat. Right? Imagine having, like, years from now, you imagine looking back, you know, telling some kids who weren't around for it, it's like, you realize the Angels had Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on their team for a number of years together? Wow! They must have won a lot. Nope. Not at all. Never made the playoffs, as a matter of fact. A lot more to it in baseball. And the presence of David Stearns... Look, I understand that Steve Cohen is the guy who's writing the checks, and ultimately he's the final decision maker in these type of things. But David Stearns was hired for a reason. And Steve Cohen, it was almost like Stearns was his white whale. And the guy that he tried to get from day one. So he obviously knows a thing or two about the way Stearns does business, the way that he runs a baseball operations department. And Stearns comes from a place in Milwaukee which did not have the wealth of resources like you have now with the Mets. That's not to say that the Mets are going to be run like a small market team, but if David Stearns' recommendation to Steve Cohen is, you know what, Steve? I say we try to re-sign Pete Alonso, but I don't think we should exceed, let's say, X amount of hundreds of millions of dollars for him Steve Cohen's going to have to abide by what David Stearns' recommendation is. Because remember, David Stearns is getting paid a lot of money by Steve Cohen to run this baseball department. And the fact of the matter is, when David Stearns was running the Milwaukee Brewers for all those number of years, they were a hell of a lot more successful franchise than the New York Mets were. No matter who the owner was, or no matter who was making the decisions for the Mets. You know, he had his hands tied to a certain degree and wasn't able to go big game hunting and still found a way to churn out a consistent winner time and time and time again with that Milwaukee team. Now, I don't want to see the Mets have a reduced payroll and have to be, you know, middle of the pack. But it also doesn't guarantee you anything as we found out last year when they had the richest payroll in the history of the sport and had to tear the thing down before the trade deadline because it was an utter disaster. Pete Alonso's not getting an extension before opening day. We know that. What I think happens is he's going to have to play out this season just like number 99 in the Bronx did a couple of years ago in his walk year. He had himself a great season, and somehow, some way, found his way back to the Bronx. Because Hal Steinbrenner pulled over to the side of the road in Italy, went to a payphone, called Aaron Judge when he was sitting there ready to sign a contract with the San Francisco Giants. Money talks at the end of the day. It's not going to be $362 million that Pete Alonso is going to get, but Mets are going to have to pony up, especially if he's going to go out there and have another Pete Alonso type season.
4: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple.
0: This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN.
2: You know, on the baseball conversation, you've got two pretty big free agents in this city. You know, we talked about Pete Alonso, and the other guy is Juan Soto, who's going to be embarking on year number one as a member of the New York Yankees. And it's funny, too, because the Mets, and and, there have been some Mets fans that are pretty down on this upcoming season with expectations. Like, they don't think it's going to go their way. They think they're going to be as bad as they were last year because they were relatively quiet in the offseason. Why isn't Steve Cohen spending any money? On and on and on. As I've said, what I think they're doing is, as they make this transition with now David Stearns taking over the baseball decision-making, they're kind of just resetting things a little bit, and they're going to strike big again next offseason. When you have a boatload of high-impact free agents. All right, Alonzo Soto, just two of them. Alex Bregman, Paul Goldschmidt, even though he's a little bit older. But how about the pitchers that are going to be available next offseason? That's why the Mets didn't go out there and sign any of these pitchers and give them multi-year deals. Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, Max Freed, Walker Bueller, Shane Bieber. I mean, you got Cy Young winners, all-stars in that group. They're all free agents at the end of the season. Those are the type of guys that you throw big money at. You know, that's how you justify your spending. And and I was talking to Joe during the break, and he brings up an excellent point. Take the Soto and Alonzo example. And here's the thing with Soto. Look, I think Soto's going to be great in the Bronx, and I actually think that Juan Soto, even though the Yankees aren't going to sign him to an extension, Soto's a guy that the Yankees will spend big money to retain. You know, the Yankees are going to break from the norm. And I know, look, they paid Judge, they paid Cole, I get that. They will do the same with, Cole, with, with Soto. And I think the reason for that, and I've been saying it, it was a blessing in disguise they didn't get Yamamoto because it at least affords them the opportunity to retain Soto. Because if they sign Yamamoto and gave him the ridiculous contract for a number of years for that type of money, that would have been one less multi-crazy deal that they would be able to have on their books, which would have meant bye-bye Soto. Now he could be sticking around the Bronx for a while. But the Soto factor, like, I am really, really intrigued to see how Soto is received in this town by the Yankee fan. Because Soto's game, look, he's a phenomenal talent. And I've been watching this guy his entire career as somebody who's covered Major League Baseball from a a league-wide perspective. Last year, he got off to a slow start with the San Diego Padres. And he was one of those guys who wasn't pulling his weight like a lot of guys in San Diego. And that's why they had that spectacularly disappointing season with all the guys they have in that lineup. Finally started to pick it up in the second half and the numbers caught up. But here's the thing about Juan Soto. Juan Soto is not a guy throughout his career who has been known as somebody who's going to go up there and put bat on ball and put up gaudy numbers in terms of home runs and RBIs. That's not his game. Last year was only the second season that he hit 100 RBIs in his career. Juan Soto's game, and this is why he's one of these like sabermetric darlings, he is on base percentage and he is somebody who's going to take his walks. And you know how the analytics people feel in the Sabermen, get on base. It's all about on-base percentage. Get on base. Doesn't matter how you do it. The hell with batting average, doesn't matter if you hit 210. Get on base, don't strike out. Is that going to play, though, in this city? Uh, I'm I'm being serious about that because we've seen some examples to the contrary. And I'm not sitting here trying to insinuate that Juan Soto was going to be another Joey Gallo. Please, don't misconstrue what I'm trying to say. Gallo was also somebody who struck out a million times a year. And it was either home run or bust with him. But Juan Soto... I'll put this question out to the Yankee fan. If Juan Soto is somebody who is still going to go out there and walk, let's say, 120 times, get on base, but he only hits 240 and drives in somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 something RBIs. Between 70 and 80 RBIs. And he only hits maybe around 20 home runs. That gonna be good enough for the Yankee fan. Really? Like don't you you expect more than that. Especially a left-handed stick with that short porch and right field in that ballpark, all the hype, all the accolade, everything you had to give up for Juan Soto, and the contract that he is supposed to get in the offseason, phenomenal player. But in this city, in this town, the demands that come with playing in the Big Apple, a 240 hitter, 20 home runs, 75 RBIs, but he walks 120 times. Is that going to fly for a Yankee fan?
1: How many games does he play, Dan? <clears> hmm. <throat> Because if he plays... full season,
2: full it, see, Like, full season. So, like, I mean, I'll, I'll say in the average, like, 100, you know, he's going to get his day off every now and then. So, let's say 150 games. I think they take
1: it. I think he's compared to Stanton a little bit. And maybe he well, gets... Well, Stanton a, doesn't play. That's the difference. No, I know. But I'm saying in terms of the bad rap and the, the booing on opening day, I, I think if he does that, He's going to get compared to Stanton in that way. And a lot of Yankee fans don't like Giancarlo Stanton, even though Stanton puts up 30 home runs seemingly every year. So, but they're
2: different players. They right? are. They're different players. Like, Stanton's, Stanton's value is in the long ball in the power department. That's not typically what Soto is, even though he has that ability. And I think that people expect more of it, and you should, because of the ballpark that he's playing in now this year for 81 home games. But do you want him to change his game? That's the thing. No, I don't think he has to. I don't think he has to because he has it in him. Remember, here's the other thing about Juan Soto, too. It's crazy, and this is why he's going to cash in. He's going to be 25 years old. You know, that's why these phenoms, he, the Bryce Harpers of the world, when you make it to the big leagues as a teenager and you ultimately hit free agency for the first time, you're only 25 years old, and that's why you're going to get the 10-year deal. But some of these other guys, even though like a Pete Alonso who's 29— 29 versus 25, like in baseball terms, that's like senior citizen-type territory as far as what's that next big contract that you're going to get as far as length. Like Pete Alonso's not getting 10 years. He might want to get it, and there might be a team out there that's dumb enough to give it to a player like that, but most executives and most owners are not going to reward a contract of that length to somebody who's 29 years of age anymore. It's not going to happen for the type of game that Pete Alonso has. But I'm really, like, again, I'm really, really curious to see how the Yankee fan embraces a Juan Soto in his type of game this year. Because they want to see bat-to-ball and him producing runs and driving in runs. The walks thing is going to get stale. And one other question, Joe, that you didn't ask me, which I do want to add to the conversation with Soto, I think a part of this is going to be, A, is the team winning or losing? Because if you're winning – At the end of the day, you shouldn't have to complain about all these other things. Although, remember, Yankees got off to that record-setting first half of the season a couple of years ago when they were, like, the best team in baseball, and it looked like they could do no wrong, but yet we still sat here and took calls that you got to get Joey Gallo out of here because he was awful as the number nine hitter. Like, the Yankee fan couldn't be satisfied because he was still the one thing weighing down their enjoyment of the team. So, that's number one, the Yankees winning. Number two... Are the other guys in the lineup going to benefit from, let's say, that Juan Soto approach? Like if Juan Soto is taking his walks and getting on base and other guys in that lineup are driving him in, and I know that there's been a lot of talk already about Judge and where he's hitting in the lineup. Is it going to be two? Is it going to be three? And Aaron Boone is kind of like, you know, having some fun with that when he was talking to the media the other day. I think that's also going to play a factor in this discussion. But for somebody who, and look, I'm not begrudging fans. Some fans only care about watching their team and their team only. I get it. Like, you may not have watched a lot of Washington Nationals games with Juan Soto throughout his career. You may not have watched a lot of San Diego Padres games the last couple of years when he was out there. That's fine. You expect for all the hype and for all the hoopla that comes with bringing in a guy like Soto, you want to see a superstar. And you might not be satisfied with a guy who goes out there and just gets on base and takes walks. And for somebody who's going to command, you know, a $350 million contract potentially, you would think that you should probably do a little bit more than just taking four balls and walking to first base.
0: Going to be interesting. This is the Dan Grasse Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hey,
2: we're back. Moving forward, 9 a.m. You get us on Saturday mornings in addition to, of course, our shows right after TMKS during the week. This upcoming week, however... I'm going to be hanging with our buddy, Mr. Rothenberg, in the morning. So you get a little D&D Monday through Friday, beginning at 6 a.m. So we look forward to that. Uh, You know, On this discussion about Juan Soto, and I wish we had more time, and maybe Pat will bring that up uh, on his show, which is coming up in just a few minutes. I want to ask you guys a question. I'm going to throw out a hypothetical for you. This is Juan Soto's season. This is his numbers, okay? I'm just going to throw this out there. 150 games. 266 batting average, 16 homers, 78 RBIs. Is that good enough for a Yankee fan? Yes or no? Would you take that if that's Juan Soto's production this year?
1: No with a capital N. Sounds like a Yikes.
2: Okay, do you know who had that first season in New York? A guy by the name of Carlos Beltran back in 2005. Now, if you don't remember, Beltran... Was a highly coveted free agent, just had a heroic postseason for the Astros in helping them get to the World Series. At the time, remember, he looked like he was going to be a Yankee because the Mets weren't getting big-name free agents then, and yet they signed him. Seven-year deal, a lot of money at the time for him. Carlos Beltran, gold-glove outfielder, the whole nine yards, five-tool player. His first season back in 2005 was considered by most to be a disappointment, right? Right? Like I said, the power number, 16 and 78. Now, he's not the same type of player as Soto in terms of getting on base. He's not the guy that walks as much as Soto does. You know, his on-base percentage was only 330 that year. And he's not a guy who is anywhere close to Soto in that department. But you got him to produce. You expected a 30 and 100 guy, who he then obviously became, for the majority of his time, wearing a Met uniform in the years to come. But... The difference is, is that Beltran wasn't going anywhere after that first season. And it took him a while to adjust to playing under the spotlight in New York. Remember, this guy who played in Kansas City and he was in Houston for a couple of months. Comes to New York and it was he was expected to produce every time he stepped in the batter's box. Soto might suffer the same type of scrutiny. He probably will because he's that good of a player. But Beltran wasn't going anywhere. He didn't have an out. Remember, that was year one of a long-term deal. Will Soto, if things don't go his way, say to Scott Boris and say, you know what? Hey, man, I don't know if I can handle playing in New York. Let me go someplace a little bit more out of the spotlight if things don't work out. That bears watching. I'm just throwing it out there into the universe here in February before we get going. I'm not saying that it will, but it's worth pondering. This was fun today. It really was. It was great being back. Thanks to Harvey and Joe. Thanks to Steve Peichel for calling in. Thanks to Don LaGreca for checking in. Pat O'Keefe is next. I'll talk to you Monday morning at 6 with Dave. Grass is saying so long on 98.7 ESPN. Here lies dead
4: cheese.
5: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI,